Mahatma Gandhi, one of the most intelligent and most famous thought leaders when it came to civil disobedience and the idea of nonviolent resistance. What did he learn from Leo Tolstoy? Let's talk about it in this story today. Coming up on the Codex Cantina. Welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am not Leo Tolstoy Crypto. We are going heavy into detail on Ivan the Fool by Leo Tolstoy today. If you are new to our channel, we like to go deep into the stories, bringing out the hidden meanings and themes in the stories that we read. If you're down for that type of discussion, please consider hitting the subscribe button. And as always, we start off with publication information. Ivan the Fool was translated by Mrs. R.S. Townsend and written by Tolstoy as a children's fable and published in 1886, which will be very, very important as we go through the story. Yeah, and there's just like a lot of stuff that happens. So if you don't mind, I'm going to look at my notes a little bit and let's just kind of like walk through this story to kind of understand it. It's so Tolstoy, the way this was written. That if you've read a ton of Tolstoy, I can see this kind of being like, there's not a ton of new stuff here. But I would say as far as Tolstoy's work, this is probably the best that we've read, at least on this channel, to have kind of explained his idea of civil disobedience, the idea of nonviolent resistance. And there's even a little hint of Christian ownership and what do we really come into this world and leave the world in terms of ownership. Yeah, I think this is the Tolstoy of Tolstoy, right? This is something that you would give to a beginner to get them started saying, here's what you're going to get yourself into if you're going to become... Leo Tolstoy triggered like we have here at the Codex Cantina. All right. So in terms of plot, what happens is we we open up with this rich peasant that has three sons, right? We have the oldest that's a soldier, Taros the merchant, and then the youngest who's Ivan the fool, and then a deaf and dumb daughter, interestingly enough. But the fool works really hard <laughs> to support the parents while the soldier and the merchant kind of argue over money, argue over property, kind of want to split their materials up. And Ivan's like, okay take the materials, go ahead and go. And I think we start to see some of the initial themes of Christian ownership from Leo Tolstoy's eyes in here. Tolstoy was always a big believer in that you came into this world with nothing, you left with nothing. We are tending the world created by God for God. So the idea is that these these older brothers who aren't living, you know, Tolstoy always paints a very religious figure, whether he means to live religiously or not. Like Ivan Ivan's never stated to be a highly religious person, but he lives the ideals because something that's very important to Tolstoy was living the lifestyle and not just putting a stamp on yourself saying, I'm this religion. And so what he does is he juxtaposes the highly religious acting individual, Ivan the Fool, with his two brothers. And the Fool is very ironic where he's not necessarily being a fool from, you know, Tolstoy's eyes. He is from society's and his brother's eyes, and then his brothers are the soldier, the merchant, but they're the ones that act like the fools in this story is a fair way to set this up. Is that right? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that there is a misconception of what a fool might be, especially nowadays. I think the way that Tolstoy is using that word is very different than one might interpret it in modern times or from an outside perspective. And so it's kind of interesting. The the devil in the story sends three imps, right? And with Tolstoy, it's always it's always the rule of three, right? He's always using his religious three highly religious number. He's using three imps and three brothers. It's a constant repeating theme with him. So the devil sends three imps to thwart the brothers, right? And easily fallen are the two oldest brothers, right? By greed, the merchant and the soldier wanting more, wanting to do more and be more famous. 
they kind of bring are their own downfalls when the imps kind of lead them towards that way. But Ivan's just working hard and isn't tempted and doesn't fall for the ways the way that his brothers have. I really think this is the idea that idle hands do the devil's work. And we can see that kind of here that Ivan keeps himself busy so he's able to stay out of trouble. So Ivan captures his imp and gets three magical roots to help him kind of heal any any cure, right? Like a miracle. He's given a miracle, basically, right? The ability to heal anything that he wants. And you, to kind of fast forward a little bit, the brothers, they come back one at a time. They stay with him. They say Ivan smells. Ask him to eat outside. <laughs> <laughs> Tolstoy is so funny, right? I mean, it's just in such a very rich story that is such teachable moments throughout all. You find yourself laughing because Tolstoy, he knew how to bring the comedy. He did. And so the brothers imps come back, right? So the the brothers problems become Ivan's problem. The brothers things that haunt and led them towards greed come to tempt Ivan. And Ivan works past them, right? One by one, he captures these imps kind of by accident, just by working hard, not giving up, working through the night. And these imps are even overcome by his hard work. His, you know, if you look at Genesis 3.19, I know we bring this up all the time, by the sweat of your brow, right? Christians are expected to work hard. And Ivan is the representation of that, even though he's ironically called the fool yeah so i think we kind of combine that together he's not brought down by unfettered greed the way his brothers were yeah so the The way his brothers were yeah so kind of the brothers continue to live with him and ivan supports the whole family further you know further pushing the sweat of your brow comment right ivan's working hard to support his family the idea is working hard on earth gets you eternal heavenly grace afterwards working your way into the afterlife is kind of what you'll see very common in tolstoy themes yeah, exactly. Now, later at a party with peasants, Ivan begins to entertain people, making it rain soldiers in gold. And that's kind of interesting because all of the peasants lose their minds over this. Make me gold. Make me little soldiers. And Ivan's like, not. he doesn't think it's a big deal, right? He's not brought down by these desires the way the rest of society, including his brothers, are. Yeah, I think that's interesting that that's the way that Tolstoy went to go with that is this idea of that he he's humble as well. Well, and he even helps his brothers, right? Like, it's interesting the way that greed, if left untreated, people will continue to fall victim to their own sins and devices is kind of what I think Tolstoy was going here for. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like greed is a disease here for them. And it it, would be impressive if, if Ivan was able to just avoid this one sin. But again, he makes him almost like the Mary Sue here where he's infallible in so many different ways. Yeah. So the princess soon becomes sick, right? So obviously you got to help the princess, right? Mario would be super <laughs> proud. You got to save the princess. Well, the problem he, is... This is Russian, not Italian. <laughs> but but the problem is that Ivan gives like his last route to help some random beggar lady with a crippled hand, I think it was, Instead of saving it for the more valuable, in worldly terms, princess, he's helping a no-name beggar as opposed to helping the princess. And I think this comes back to kind of the, we talked about in three questions, if you remember. Yeah, and we saw in that one that you're always trying to help the person that's in need right now in front of you. Right. So he's he's not putting worldly possessions above of the immediate need of his neighbor, another very Christian ideal that he's going to bring into the story. So they head to the castle. Ivan steps on the grounds. Boom, you're healed, princess, right? Like, 
<laughs> Ivan, Ivan the Miracle is what they ought to be calling him. They get married. Yeah, exactly. They get married. The king dies, and Ivan becomes king, and once again gives his brother soldiers and gold. <laughs> Why not? Right. This guy has this guy has like the best luck ever, right? And I think that goes in hand to hand is that if you do good things, good things will happen to you. Well, it's so funny, too, because now Ivan's king and he starts working with his hands in the ground with the peasants. Ivan is Tolstoy. Like, he's just like, hmm, I'm going to write this really religious person with lots of money, but make him work like a peasant lifestyle the same way that I do, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a very inspiring story, too, though. You think that, you know, you can pull yourself up and it's almost that American ideal dream that you can come from nothing and become a king. Yeah, yeah but without even desiring it, right? Like these are, these are, Ivan is just doing the best immediately that he can, as opposed to his brothers that are constantly wanting for more, thinking off into the future as to living in the present. A lot of subtle, typical Tolstoy ideas in this piece. And I think we kind of get to the end now with the devil who comes to tempt his brothers once again. And then, of course, they fall. And, of course, he comes to tempt Ivan. Yeah. And Ivan's people, what's interesting, don't even react to the devil's temptations, right? He gives them all this gold. And then the people get enough gold, and they're like, we're good. Right? Like, it's kind of like supply and demand. Once the devil put too much gold into their world, not that this was the first example of supply and demand, but it's early in supply and demand theory that he very intelligently has written how the people are like, we're good. We have what we need. We don't need unfettered greed taking us down. We're happy. And that kind of makes the devil scratch his head a little bit, right? Yeah, he should have paid more attention when learning about inflation in economics class. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, but to be fair, I think this is also Tolstoy's way of entering, segmenting into this idea of nonviolent resistance because throughout this whole time, most people would not have reacted the way that Ivan has. They would have protected their means of production. They would have protected their means of money. They wouldn't have necessarily given without expectation of return. It's extremely rare in these days, and Tolstoy's kind of making a mockery of it. Well, what I love here at the end is when the devil goes to tempt the enemy kingdom, and the enemy kingdom comes to comes in, right? And this is where we were talking earlier about Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi. The idea of not resisting is the Christian slash i know Gandhi wasn't a christian but it's the idea of the the long-term thinking that violence isn't necessarily always the answer sometimes mercy sometimes forgiving and sometimes giving is a way of of fighting back if you will and i think we see here when the enemy kingdom comes in and the people are like yeah take what you need that, that even the, like, it seems unbelievable, right? Because this is a very caveman depiction of nonviolent resistance. Just to be like, oh, they wouldn't just give up, would they? Well, there's very famous lines and quotes that not, nonviolent resistance is an incredibly intelligent and advanced form of warfare to the point where the soldiers that are serving the king, you know, the enemy king, they're not on an island unto themselves, right? They still have to face their friends, their family when they leave. You know, there's talks about policemen when a riot's happening that disobeyed firing into the crowd or pu- using violence to push back. They'd interview them. They, why why didn't you follow your training? Why didn't you fire into the crowd as we ordered? And it, the, the policemen, very, you know, they'd say, I was worried my kid would be there. I was worried my neighbors would be out there. And that just goes to show you that no one is an island unto themselves. We need other people. It's the idea of iron sharpens iron, men sharpen other men. 
The idea is that we can't necessarily just be ruthless in killing. Eventually, our own compassion usually wins out in the end. And it's a very barbaric way, that, the way that Tolstoy shows it. But it is very advanced in today's age where nonviolent resistance is statistically more effective than using actual violence and army warfare on average, I would say. Yeah, and back to an economic standpoint, it's going to be much cheaper financially as well. It's going to be a lot less cost in life for this type. And I think with a transition of power, it's going to be more effective in the long run as well, because more people are going to be following the idea of, hey, if killing isn't involved, then it's going to be better. Yeah. And statistically, people are more satisfied and less likely to resist when nonviolent methods are used. Most people think that you need like 50% of a country to overthrow like the government or to have someone step down. Statistically, you need 3.5% of a country's population to stand up to overthrow the government. That's not a lot. That That is definitely achievable. And if you say it like, well, yeah, that's just, that's just theory. No, that's happened in Guatemala, Philippines, uh, Sudan, they're, they're, the, the United States of America lost arguably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can make an argument for our country very easily that a very small percentage of the population controls and makes laws for the rest of us. While, while this is a very simplistic, obvious rendition of it, and it is much more advanced in terms of, it's not just protests, right? It's, it's how do you make them have to say no in terms of cutting off their resources? You know, in Guatemala, they did tactics such as the farmers would just park their cars in the roads. Shutting down infrastructure is a big deal for the day-to-day economy. That You'd be surprised how intelligent nonviolent resistance is. And it's incredible that a piece from 1886, while very simplistic, does touch on some of these means that are incredibly effective to today. And I think it's interesting, too, that this piece written, you know, before his kind of crisis of religion and faith is what was Tolstoy purpose of this story as a whole, I think. As you said, he's in the story himself, obviously, maybe as Ivan, but is he questioning his own worth? Is he questioning himself of what he should be doing with this power that he has? Is he being greedy? Is he trying to humiliate himself to feel like Mm -hmm. he's doing the right thing? Tolstoy was an incredibly complex individual, and I will never pretend that here's the answer and here's what he was thinking, right? All we have are his works, his writings. We have ways of living through that through, you know, secondhand announcements like we talked about in El Yusha the Pot, where he used, you know, Hmm. auto-fictional elements of his life into the stories. I, I, I think that's a good question of what was his grievances that he was working out? Yeah, I think that sometimes people always ask that question of, you know, knowing yourself. And I think that Tolstoy here is trying to know himself better, that maybe he wrote this story so he could understand his own intentions better. And if you guys enjoyed the conversation today, please consider leaving like a farmer emoji or something like that down in the comments. Let's move into our subjective ratings. And if you guys want to follow along for more Leo Tolstoy conversations, please check out the playlist down below. Crypto, what are you going to give this piece? I'm going to give this one a solid seven. Nothing too miraculous here. Ah, see what it did there? Mm, the miracle. But I think that <laughs> I think that uh, this is a, a good piece, but I think that there are better that draw out more Tolstoy. But it, I think it's a great starting point. That's why I give it a solid seven. This is something that people can whet their you know knowledge and appetite for Tolstoy if they're just starting into their journey. Uh, and this is going to ramp up from here. So it's a good base to have. And I think that it starts you off because... For me, I want to know more about Tolstoy himself, and this is going to start giving you, I think, a little bit about him as the person and not just those teachable moments from one of his stories. 
Yeah, I think I'm at a 7-2, but I almost want to like bump it up a point because of how accessible he made it. Like he wrote this for children, and I think this is accessible for a child to learn stories of morality from. I think my son's still a little bit too young at five years old, but I, I would love to read him this at some point because I think there are very teachable moments in this that I think are worth talking about. Yeah, I think you could probably take this story and convert it into a Thomas the Engine or, I don't know, <laughs> Bob the Builder or something. You could make it into a little kid story cartoon that's for a five or six-year-old definitely change a few of the names (laughs) and it definitely would work and hold up i think well all right guys i hope you guys had some fun listening and, and chatting with us here today please feel free to leave us questions and comments down below if you are down for literature discussions like this we post videos two to three times a week every monday thursday and a bonus video on tuesdays please consider hitting that subscribe button to join us in the conversation una out peace